0: alienate, and marginalize people. Welcome to Conversations. This is your host, Michael Stone, and I have a special guest all the way from Ireland today, John Lockley. He's a senior Sangoma in the Hosa lineage from South Africa. He's also known as a traditional healer, diviner, our spirit doctor. Sangomers are traditional African shamans who were called by the ancestors to apprentice under another Sangoma to receive transmission or the gift of healing. John is the founder of The Way of the Leopard Teachings, a unique teaching system to help people from non-shamanic cultures to reconnect to their wilderness, their bones, their ancestors, and their deep dreams and the natural world. John, welcome back to Conversations.
1: Hi Michael, nice to see you again.
0: You too, you've been all over the world uh, with your new book, let me hold it up here, The Leopard Warrior, (laughs) journey into the African teachings of ancestry, instinct, and dreams. Now you don't look very African to me, and you're from Ireland, so how'd you end up being a Sangoma?
1: So my story started before I was born, like a lot of sunwarmers, and it started with my mother, my mother's vision. And my mother is from Dublin, Ireland, and she was walking on the pier one day, the Dun Pier here in Dublin, and she had a vision of African elephants, and they were beckoning to her and calling her to, to go to Africa. At that point, she'd already had a lot of feelings and inspirations about Africa, and that was the final push to inspire her to pack her bags and go to Africa. So that's what she did. She went to Africa and um, she transferred with her job from London to Zimbabwe, which was Rhodesia in those days. And uh, as it was quite unusual to have an Irish woman going into this particular business in in Rhodesia at that time, they had a welcoming party for her. And at the welcoming party, she met my father. And my father is about uh, three generations, uh, Rhodesian. So, or Zimbabwean now. So my mother had a deep feeling, or still has a deep feeling for the African bushveld. And when she had that vision of the African elephants, she, inside herself, she, she said um, she remembered the feeling and she remembered almost like a voice or a intuition. You know how visions go. And, and the intuition was that she needed to go to Africa to observe African elephants and the wilderness. While she still can, and while the animals are still wild, while the animals are still roaming in a wild way, so that was quite a powerful vision and, and very, very intuitive and very auspicious. Because nowadays the African wilderness is being threatened with poaching. There's a poaching war on in southern Africa, and the animals are being slaughtered. So that's another conversation. But in terms of 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 how I became a sangoma. That was the first beginning of it. And just for the listener, the African elephant, when it comes in certain dreams and visions like my mother's situation, they represent the medicine people. They represent the sangoma. So the African um, elephants in that situation were known as which means the people of the elephant, which are the medicine people. So my mother was called to Africa in order for me to... In order for one of her children, which was myself, to 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 be born in in an environment where I could be given the, the training to become a a shaman or traditional shaman, because in my particular family, my Irish family, these old traditional ways were dying out. So my grandmother had the gift, the gift of prophecy, and she saw the future and she saw the past, and and she was very intuitive in terms of working with the world around her um however this traditional way of connecting with the wilderness and connecting with the spirits was dying out in Ireland so it was um, you could say it was a destiny or it was a plan of the ancestors or however you want to put it um, it was it was it was um, it's hard to put this into words but basically it was preordained for for my, my mother for the next generation to survive in terms of bringing forth this Old wisdom. My mom had to go to a culture where the gift was recognised, and where the training is still available in terms of an indigenous shamanic training. So it wasn't strange for me to end up in South Africa, Um, and and the story is very magical because my Kosa traditional healer friends and sangomas and medicine people recognised my gift straight away despite apartheid and despite all the problems in civil war they recognized my gift and then they trained me to become a a bundle of a, a medicine man a people of the elephant so uh, my story is very long like i say but the essence of the story is that these old ways were dying out in ireland my mother was given the the vision to to go to africa so that the next generation could be trained in these traditional ways. And the next generation was her son, which was me so that these old traditional ways in our family and in our human family can survive into the future because if I was born in Ireland, I wouldn't have been given this opportunity to be trained to become a Sangoma or traditional Shaman. So, so for me, I, I feel that this is one of the reasons why she's given this vision and why um, we spent so many years in South Africa and while well, I was educated there. And when I was born and I came out of my mother's womb in Cape Town, I, I had the markings of the Sangoma around my eyes. And my mother in, in the form of this white clay, this kind of white clay or birth skin. And my mother completely forgot about this until I entered my mom's home, my mom and dad's home with my teacher about 25 years later. My, my mother saw my teacher for the first time and she saw the white clay around my teacher's eyes and she remembered my birth. And when she sat down with my teacher, she said to her, um, I just need to share something with you that I'm remembering about John's birth. And she said, yes. And she said, when John was born, he was born with this white clay around his eyes, just like you have at the moment. And I thought he looked like a little Aborigine because um, Peter, my husband and I, just come from Australia, and all the indigenous Aboriginal children, or some of the people, had this white clay on them, and, and that's the way he was born. And and I thought it was very strange, and the what, the white doctor frowned because it was apartheid, and the crosser nurses ululated. Now, Mum Guevu she said to my teacher, what did that mean? And she looked at my mother, and she smiled, and she laughed, and she said, I was born like that as well. John was born to become a Sangoma. Mm. And that's why he was given this particular marking when he was born. And and that's why the gift is so strong with him.
0: Mm. So I know your history as we know each other. And one of the things I think that's important, you started really studying in South Korea in a Zen Buddhist monastery. And then you were sick a lot. And and, uh, I think that's interesting because... In many traditions, the person who is trained by the culture community is often one who has been sick or maybe a little crazy. You know, maybe yeah. you're both. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> talk about that and, and how you entered that training. I think it's really powerful. And then after that, I'd love to hear you uh, either say a prayer in your hosa language or Sing us a song, maybe, and this is an ancestral lineage that you come from. So maybe we could talk about that whole lineage and, and give us a song or a prayer in your uh, native uh, Sangoma language.
1: Okay, sure, Michael, sure. So the first, you want me to talk about the illness?
0: Yeah, talk about the illness a little bit as an entryway into your okay. entering the Sangoma lineage.
1: So my calling started with a number of visions, but it also kicked off with a debilitating illness, which in South Africa we call the Twaza illness, which is is the calling illness, the calling to become a Sangoma. So in our culture in South Africa, we say that uh, you need to be called by the spirits to become a Sangoma. You don't decide to become one. And to become a sangwama is a very painful process because your body breaks down, your, your, your emotional body, everything breaks down, and, and you become very wounded. And the process in becoming a sangwama is the process of healing your wounds, and as you heal, you are able to heal others. So it's not a glamorous Process. It's in fact, it's it's not something that a lot of the traditional people would wish on anyone to become a sangoma because of the pain involved. So for me, the illness came with with a dream. So I had a dream where I was I was I was actually in the South African Army as a medic, a medical orderly, and I was experiencing a lot of pain, a lot of um, post-traumatic stress from the soldiers because the soldiers had just come back from Angola. The Angolan War had just ended. And we had a war like Vietnam just above us in Angola for the listeners. I'm sure a lot of people aren't aware of this. It raged for about 10 years and it was a horrific war. And we had um, we had the, the Russians, the Cubans, we had the Americans, the CIA. We had a lot of different nationalities involved in that war. And um, a lot of people weren't aware of this around the world. But anyway, it raged for 10 years and it ended... And then as it ended, I was conscripted or drafted into the South African army and there I was in the army at 18, helping with these soldiers. And my first assignment was working with these special forces soldiers. So it was a very, it was a very extreme situation, it was very difficult. And my way of dealing with all of that, to make it short, was to do Zen Buddhism and meditation and ask the question of why is there suffering and why am I suffering? And, what is the meaning of the suffering and, and why do I eat every day? And these, these very poignant existential questions I was asking myself during meditation. And then the, the retreat ended after four days. I went home. I was just about to go to the hospital where I was based. And, and then I had this very profound dream that changed my life. And in that dream, I saw a, a man that I called a witch doctor because I didn't know the names of the Sangoma people. I was brought up in apartheid South Africa and traditional healers for us, African healers, were seen as what we call witch doctors and that's an old colonial term. So in my dream, I saw this witch doctor man with with, with skins draped around his body. And um, he had this incredible, these white, these beautiful eyes that were just shining. And there was, I could smell the herbs around him, and he started speaking to me in almost in in such a vivid way as though I was right there. And he looked like he came from an ancient place, so it was like I was being transported back in time to the 1800s or the 1700s. And we started speaking to him, uh, to each other. We started speaking to each other, but through our minds. And I said to him, "Please teach me. Teach me about nature. Teach me about suffering." teach me about the world and he kept quiet and then i asked him again and and then just before i asked him for the third time i saw that i was lying on the ground in a cave and on the left of me was another man lying down and he was around the same age as me and he was a black guy and and we were both naked lying on the ground and uh, And then subsequently, years later, I realized that that was the way that traditional apprentices started their apprenticeship to become Sangomas many, many, many years ago. Mm. So there I was lying down. And then on the third time, I said to him, please teach me about the world, about suffering and about healing and about nature. And then he started speaking to me and he said to me, in order for me to teach you the ways of my people, you are going to get very, very sick. You are going to come close to death because that is the way of my people. That's the way we train people to become healers in my culture. And I said to him, that's okay, teach me. And he said, I need to warn you, you're going to get very, very sick and you're going to come close to death. And I said to him, I've already come close to death. I've already lost a few of my patients. I've lost my, my dog that I, I was very in love with, my, my pet dog and we in the, in the midst of the civil war in South Africa, and there's a lot of suffering around me and my life is over unless you teach me because I'm only 18 years old. Mm. And he said, okay, he kept, there was just a silence. And the next thing he showed me a vision of the future. And there's a vision of the future that was going to happen in about five years. And it did happen. What I saw, he showed me five years into the future. And then when I woke up from the dream, I had all these boils over my legs, physical boils. And I started laughing because I knew that he had accepted to train me. And then I went to the hospital and I went to the the emergency unit because being a medic, I could could go in and get an appointment quickly. And I was diagnosed with tick bite fever and I was given medication for it. And then the next thing that happened to me is I got one illness after the next for seven years. And it wasn't just physical, the illnesses were physical. So I had dysentery, I had hepatitis, I broke bones, I had near-death experiences. A lot of things happened to me, but what made it, what had it made it a twaza illness, a shamanic calling, wasn't just the physical illness that I had, but it was also the psychic dreams that I had at night, how I was shown things at night, how the spirits came to me and started speaking to me, how I was shown that I needed to go to South Korea to train, that my destiny depended on it, how I was shown that I needed to go back to South Africa to vote for Mandela, and how I'd move in the direction of finding my Sangoma teacher. My dreams became a, a map, a road map in, in the world of the living. And I was shown many things about many people in terms of suffering and health. And even when my apprenticeship ended, I was shown to go to the United States to bring the medicine because the United States holds a very special place in terms of spreading cultural wisdom in the world. And I was shown all these things and then I was also shown the people to help me. So my journey has been this traditional journey and my journey has also been the way of the bridge maker because my teacher, when she took me on, she, she um, actually invited me to become a sangoma. And she had a dream the night before I met her, and she's a Krosa medicine woman from Mandela's tribe. She doesn't speak English. And um, the night before I went to see her, she had a dream and a vision where she said the great spirit of Titkro came to her and said to her, you need to prepare yourself to train someone from another culture to become a senior sangoma like yourself. And when that person comes into your gate, comes into your property, you need to be prepared. And then the next day I came to her house and um, I came with my girlfriend and of course a friend of mine who translated and uh, and she knew instantly, she said I was the person she had to train. And then we we sat down and she threw, she did a divination where she went into trance and she started speaking about the last seven years of my life. And I'd never met her before, and she was completely accurate. Everything she said was the truth. And she also said to me, do you want to become a sangoma?" I'm inviting you to become my apprentice. And I said to her, what does it mean to become a sangwoma?" And she said, to become a sangoma means the ancestors are going to be, be able to work through you in all different ways, that you're going to stop being so sick and you're going to be able to heal people in all different ways. So I said, okay, mom, Diavurma, I agree. And she said, okay, wonderful. So come tomorrow and I'll give you your first white beads, which is a sign that, uh, that you are my apprentice. Mm. So the next day I went to her and, uh, and she gave me my first white beads as a sign that I was her sangoma apprentice. And then the the last thing I'll say to you um, is three weeks passed with me apprenticing with her. And then she had another dream and she had a dream where she said her ancestors came to her from the old days, from the old times. And they said to her, you must call John Tringolindaba. And... She said, okay, and when she woke up, she said there was very auspicious to dream about her ancestors and to get a, a message to call me Ukingolendaba. And the word Ukingolendaba means the messenger or the bridge, the one who joins people over long distances, not just in this world, but also joins people in this reality to the ancestral world. So I see part of my job as being a bridge maker to to help heal the, the, the friction and the sadness and the civil war between white and black people, to bring forth a new renaissance in South Africa and, and, and in Africa uh, of, of, of reconciliation, of healing the injustice of the past. Now, I'm not responsible for the past and neither are my parents. However, I'm responsible for this moment. And in this moment, with the knowledge I have, All I plan to do is to help heal um, the injustice of the past. And to help heal it means to spread the truth about who Sangomas are and who African traditional healers are, that they are not black magic practitioners like a lot of Westerners seem to think that they are holy people, people practicing the medicine in a very profound way. And yes, we do have situations of black magic and mootie killings and all that happening in Southern Africa, I can't lie, but those are not sanguomas. And if someone does something in a negative way, they can't be called a sanguoma. So part of my work is reconciliation reconciliation, and helping to heal the, the pain of the past.
0: So John, since this particular lineage is really coming through the ancestors, you were saying that the... The teachings and the wisdom come through the ancestors. I'd love it if you would do in your native uh, hosa language a prayer or a song or something uh, honoring the ancestors. And I invite people who are on there. We in North America have, for the most part, a very weak relationship with our ancestors. And one of the things in shamanism is this great respect uh, for the uh, helping ancestors, the ancient ancestors that are our lineage. So could you do a song or a prayer for us?
2: Sure, Michael,
1: I'd, I'd be honored to. Okay, so here
2: we go. Oh, siang mula kamaku kamaku, kamaku, kamaku Who's young woman yangi?
1: Come a goo you, you, come a goo, come a goo, come a a yang, O wooden letter to kamagu. Camago, and made bantu, Ucohamba Pambida, Camago, and made bantu, Uco Kumbula, Ubuntu, Bobuntu, Si Camago, Siabole, Abana Badala, Camago, Icamalam, Gringolandava, and Tom Slope, and Kiamba, he joke inu Yango, kokomoya. Dianola nje Jetan Abana Badala, and abantu bantu, Uco Kumbula, Kumbula, Ubuntu, Bobuntu. City Massiembo, masiembo.
2: Oh, masiembo Massiembo, yo, yo, Massiembo, Massiembo, yo, yo, oh, masiembo uh. oh, masiembo, yo, yo, oh, Massiembo. Oh Masimbo, yo yo, oh Masimbo, uh, yeah. oh Masimbo, yo yo, oh Masimbo, oh Masimbo, yo yo, oh to Kalambo, oh to Kalambo, yo yo, to Kalam, oh to Kalamo, to Kalamo, oh Masimbo. Oh Masiyembo, yo yo. Oh Masiyembo, oh Masiyembo, yo yo. Oh Masiyembo, oh Masiyembo, yo yo. Masiyembo, Masiyembo,
1: oh Masiyembo. I see nobody but Daris Masiyembo sitting
0: So, give us a translation of that.
1: So uh, in the beginning I was saying which means honor and praise the old people and I'm saying with reverence, um, I give you thanks. So tramagu is like, it's like, uh, it's like amen, except it's a little bit, it's a bit, it's hard to translate, but it's, it's said, "tamago" is said when you, when you see a medicine person or you see something very sacred or. Something very um, pertinent or auspicious happens, which is seen as is coming from the divine. And then you go tamago. So I'm honouring the ancient ones. You've kept the the seed of humanity alive. I'm honouring the great spirit, um, and I'm honouring different names for the ancestors. So we have we have Bandabadala, uh, which means the old people. We have Izinyanya, which means the silent, hidden ones, the nature spirits. The divine beings. I'm also saying Abazali Bam, which means my parents. So there's different words for what you could call the wisdom keepers of our humanity. So I'm honouring them. I'm calling on them. I'm also honouring the Great Spirit, the, the divine, which we see as Utiko, or the Bushman word is Kamata, the Great Dreamer, Kamata. So I'm honouring and praising the Great Dreamer, the Great Spirit. And in the song, I'm saying masiyembo which means "Let us remember let us remember our humanity, let us remember the old ways, Embo's old ways. Let us remember the old ways of our humanity, and as we call in the wisdom keepers of our collective humanity, we're calling on them to come to us to help spark our DNA, our consciousness, our dreaming, so that we are able to fulfill our destiny um, and, and bring forth the new generation so that the, the life is a circle, a circle of remembering, so that we remember this uh, the sacredness of being human because um, it is sacred, it is auspicious, and it's, it's a very special birth, as the Buddhists would say, being a human being. So as we pray in this particular way, we are calling forth a radical form of remembering our humanity.
0: Mm, that's really beautiful. I love that. You know, something I wanted to talk about, John, I'm going to switch subjects. I I do want to get back into your training and things a little bit, but even though you were born in South Africa, you're white and Sangomos are traditionally a black spiritual practice, shamanic practice. And there's been a lot of talk lately about cultural appropriation. And it's interesting that that has laid out as kind of a race card which is more of a colonialist perspective and I'm sure as someone teaching as a Sangoma which is an African uh, shamanic teacher that you must come up against people talking about how can a white person be teaching an African tradition an ancestral tradition on top of it can you speak to that issue
1: it's a very complicated issue, I think, but I think all I could speak about is my own story, really, rather than, you could say, making a political statement about others, because uh, I know it's fought with a lot of complex issues, especially in America, and we have to understand that the world is is large, and what happens in South Africa and our history is, is, a, is a bit different to, to America, you know? But all I can say from my kind of upbringing is that I'm a South African. You know, I was born in South Africa. I'm three generations South African, and um, and my father's first language was English and the local language. So we are people of Africa. So it would be uh, I, I I actually seen as a as a form of racism when people have a problem with me being a Xhosa because of my white skin. It is really racist, to be honest with you, because the same, if we flip the coin and we said, is it okay for black people in South Africa to become Methodist or Anglican priests, most people would say, yes, of course, definitely me, I would say, yes, of course. And it's the same kind of thing. Someone has a calling to enter another culture. Say, so let's say you're a Xhosa man, and we have an example of Desmond Tutu, who is a Xhosa man, and he had a calling to become a priest. So he entered the Anglican Church, which is an English institution, and he became a priest and he went up the ranks and he became an archbishop. And I've never heard anyone have a problem with that, even during the height of apartheid. No one ever said, what's a black man doing, being an English priest? And, um, you know, he had to enter that culture, which meant having to learn English, speak English, and also... um, sing the songs, the English songs, the English culture, he had to appropriate all of those things in order to be an English priest. And um, I didn't see a problem with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if someone has a problem with me being a Sangoma, then it's, it's a kind of a racist thing if they don't listen to who I am and listen to my upbringing and listen to the fact that I'm brought up in South Africa and that I didn't choose to become a Sangoma, I was invited into the tradition. So a key, a key issue around cultural appropriation is permission. And I think this is very important because what I've noticed, especially in America, is that there's a lot of people calling themselves shamans, for example, and and they haven't got the training. So it's, it's annoyed a lot of people, especially indigenous people in North America. They've got very upset and very annoyed. And I don't want to go into all of that because I don't have enough knowledge and enough um, enough words around all of that. But I think this whole issue of permission is very, very important. So if we look at the situation of, say, Desmond Tutu, he's a wonderful man. He he, he went through the, the traditions of becoming a priest and went through the training. And there's no question that he's an Anglican priest, he's an archbishop. The fact that he's got black skin is not an issue at all. Now, the same thing with me. I was invited into the tradition, I was invited in to to become a Sangoma, and then I went through all the various initiations and trainings where I was given sacred beads, where I was given sacred um, objects, and where I was given permission by the elders to do certain things right up until I finished. And then I had a discussion with them and said, I'm having a calling to bring this medicine to the Western world. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. And all I want to do is bring certain aspects of the culture to help people remember their ancestors. I don't want to bring secret knowledge, which is pertinent to closer people. All I want to do is share some of the beauty of connecting with our ancestors. Mm-hmm. And when I shared this with my elders and I said to them, you know, people overseas don't remember their ancestors. They don't have ancestral dreams. There was silence there was absolute silence because it is seen as something beyond words when a human being does not know their people and does not dream about their ancestors. So at one point, I even said to my closer father, my teacher's husband, I said, Father, I said, I don't want to go overseas. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Um, I don't want to go, you know? And he just said to me, um, in Jani I'm a pooper," he said. "How are your dreams?" I said. "In my dreams, my ancestors and and other ancestors in, in in America and other places are calling me to teach, but it's very difficult for me because I have white skin and they struggle to believe me, and I'm going through a lot of um, heavy energy, and uh, and I'd rather just stay here with you because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very um I'm a quiet person and I don't like speaking too much." And he looked at me, and he said, He said, you are a sangwama, a senior sangwama, and you have the dreams from your ancestors, and they are calling you overseas, and that's what you need to do. So I said, okay, Tat. I'm going. So then I went overseas and each time I came up with these issues of cultural appropriation and what, 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 and I came back and shared it with my Kosa elders and they said to me, the people do not understand African culture, John. They do not understand what a Sangoma is. They do not understand that a Sangoma doesn't decide to become a Sangoma, but a Sangoma has the illness, has the calling, and then they are chosen by the elders and this is what's happened to you. And he said, if people don't believe you, it's just because they don't understand this ancient culture.
0: Such a huge topic. I I love that we're speaking to this. You know, we've had the same thing with native American cultures. And as you say, many people have actually stolen things without permission, number one, but also, you know, it's the other side of racism. I think people forget that race is really a colonialistic perspective. I mean, it was created to create separation and churches and and slavery and all these other things. But I think also, let's say a person, a black person from the United States who was raised and born in the United States would come over and expect to be more welcomed into the African culture because of the color of their skin, which would kind of be like a white person going to a Sami village, you know, and and saying, well, I, you should accept me because I'm white and I want to come into your tradition. So mm-hmm. this works on, on both sides. And number one, you talk about the calling and the sickness, but also the depth of training that you've had in the tradition and Mm. what you had to go through to do that. And then there are other people who spend a weekend in a shamanic workshop and call themselves shamans. Mm. My understanding from the cultures that I've been in is that you don't ever call yourself a shaman. You're a shamanic practitioner. It's the community that says you're a shaman. Is that uh, your experience also?
1: It's a bit different in South Africa, but it's similar in the sense that you, um, yeah, it's quite similar. I'd say because you don't call yourself a sangoma. although I would call myself a sangoma now, but it's only because my elders have called me a sangoma. I never started saying I'm a sangoma, and even when I went, um, I started with the tradition and started the first stages of the of the apprenticeship i 'm um, called the Sangoma from that from those early years, and I never advertised that. I was very private. The only time I came out was when I became a senior when I finished all the stages of apprenticeship. But as you start the training, you are called the Sangoma by the community because you have the beads and you have the sickness. And the ancestors are speaking to you so you are a sangoma. whether you finished the training or you just started the fact that you've been chosen by the ancestors that you have this this very profound and very um difficult illness and you have these dreams these particular dreams which which are ancestral dreams and that they have been uh, validated by the elders is enough for the for the community to say okay this is this person is is going through a period of trial and this period is 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 a period of initiation and apprenticeship they are a sangoma that's it you know so that's the way we say it but it's not given lightly and i know as as south africa becomes westernized These issues in terms of taking someone to become a a Sangoma are are having to be played out as well in South Africa at the moment. But I I was very lucky when I started my training, it was very indigenous, and I was, it was apartheid had just ended. So it was very, the traditional cultures were still very, very intact. Um, So I was very lucky to have experienced that. So yeah, this is the essential. The essential thing is that you you do not, through your own ego and your own mind, say, um, I had a dream, so I'm a Sangoma. You never, never, never do that. It has to be validated by the elders, by the community, and you are humbled by the community. And this is the essence of Ubuntu, which means humanity. The essential system of Ubuntu in Southern Africa is a system of deep humility towards your elders, your community, and the natural world and the ancestors. You don't stand up in a very egoic kind of way and say, "Ah, I'm this, you know? You don't do that, Mm -hmm. Um, especially not in the beginning when you you enter the community, you know?
0: So another thing you mentioned that just kind of raised a question for me, and that was that you wanted to not teach the whole tradition, but you wanted to just work with the ancestors, but you went and got permission to do that. And one of the things that I've seen in some of the really deep shamanic traditions, whether it's uh, Celtic or Andean or Russian or uh, Nordic, uh, you know, Celtic, these traditions, have great depth in their training. And one of the things that happens is that people will appropriate something and maybe they'll have some training, but they will leave out parts of say, a particular song or a particular prayer or practice that's been practiced for thousands of years a certain way. Mm -hmm. So tradition is another aspect of this honoring the tradition of that culture is another really important aspect of it and i'm just wondering your thoughts uh about that and how you see people kind of again not being fully trained and going out and uh putting themselves out there as a shamanic healer
1: yes it's a a huge area and um I think you've brought up some important points here. One of the important points you mentioned is to do with tradition, and then you've got tribal tradition. So you've got two different traditions going on here with, with the Shaman, or we could say a Sangoma. With the traditional Shaman, you have the tribal culture, and then you have let's say the human culture where you are helping people all over the world to connect with their ancestors. So let's say I'm here in Ireland, I'm in Dublin and last year I met this beautiful Mongolian shaman and she came over from Mongolia, very, very indigenous. She couldn't speak any English. She had a friend of hers translating. Now you might say, how can she help people in another culture? So what she's doing, she is helping the people connect with their ancestors. So it's a bit like myself I'm helping to connect people with 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 their ancestors. However, she's not exactly giving all the traditional ways of the Mongolian people as such because it's not relevant to say the Irish people or the English people or the German people. She is showing certain aspects to help them connect with their own dreaming, with their own ancestors. So it's the same with myself. I had to find how to bring this medicine in an appropriate way into the Western world without jeopardizing the sacredness of the culture. And it came quite simply through dreams and visions and through discussions with my elders. And a lot of the the essential wisdom in the culture has got to do with dreaming and helping people remember their dreams so if i 'm working with a Russian person or a mexican person i don 't have to go through the intricate crosser medicine ways in terms of the cultural ways to to the crosser people i don 't have to go through all of that because it 's not relevant to the person, but the another thing is what is relevant. Is cleansing the people and working with the medicine in such a way that this person gets to dream about their ancestors. So I think this is the important thing here. Now if you look at the Khoisan language, it's very deep and a lot of the medicine is, is, is quite culturally specific to being a Khoisan person, to speaking the language, to working and living in a southern African place. However, there's another aspect of the medicine which goes beyond culture, which goes directly to what I call Ubuntu, which means humanity, which is why I'm able to leave South Africa and still heal and work with people, no matter what color their skin is, no matter what culture they are, no matter what language they speak, there's an essential, um, there's an essential way of helping people that crosses all these boundaries. And, and that's what I do. Now, if someone had a calling to become a sangoma, a Kosa sangoma, then obviously I need to take them to South Africa and bring them into this cultural uh, milieu where it's the language and it's the songs and it's the drumming and it's all very, very specific to the Xhosa people. Then that is what I have to do. Um, however, at the moment, I see my duty and vision is to help people remember their own ancestors and their dreams and their calling. And then once you're listening to your ancestors, they tell you how to go deeper with the medicine of being human. And, and that's why the, the teaching is very specific to who are your people, who are your mother and father, and what are their names. And and as you do that, you, you, you awaken the DNA inside of you. So there's two different things going on, I can just reiterate. There's the traditional medicine, of the tribe, and then there is the traditional medicine of being a human being, which helps people connect with their DNA. And as a Sangoma or as a traditional Shaman, you have both of these aspects inside of you. Hmm. I, I hope that. that's clear, Michael, I hope it's clear, because the listener, I want them to be clear about that. You have traditional medicine from a tribe, which is, could be from South America or South Africa, and then you have the traditional aspect of being a human being in terms of working with DNA and plants and dreams.
0: Yeah, no, that's very clear. I think another area that a lot of people do some mischief in and have a lot of big opinions about are charging money. I think people are crazier about money than maybe even sex and particularly in this culture. But the whole idea that you shouldn't charge money, that this should be something that's done for free. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yes. Um,
0: because we yes. all know you're getting so rich, John.
1: <laughs> Jeez,
0: oh, I, I
1: <laughs> yes, the whole money thing is in South Africa, I, 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 Sangoma is a traditional healer mm-hmm. and it's a profession. So they need to be paid. So that's very clear. Mm-hmm. To become a Sangoma, to become a traditional healer, involves a lengthy apprenticeship. And during that apprenticeship, you are expected to pay your teacher. And so you pay your teacher, she has a fee, and then you also pay for each and every um, ceremony that you do and you invite members of the community in. And obviously you're also paying for your traditional costume. This can get expensive because as you do a ceremony, it involves inviting the the whole community and the whole community comes to, to bless you. And they come to bless you, so you need to make sure there's enough food and drink for everyone. And then it takes a number of years. It's not just one or two years. And the reason why it takes a long time, these apprenticeships, is because it takes time to develop a relationship with your ancestors or helping spirits. And when I say ancestors, I do not just mean your blood ancestors, i.e. your, your grandparents and your great-grandparents and so on. I'm talking also about nature spirits especially for a Western person who is not brought up in a nature or indigenous context, it takes a longer time for us to, to connect with these deeper um, earth medicine ways. So the years take time and, and each ceremony you pay your teacher. And that's been my experience. So I had to take out a student loan which my, my my whole apprenticeship, which was ten years, was very close to the the same amount of money for a university degree or even a master's degree. So that's the kind of money we're talking about. When people have an issue with it with me, then um, in fact they don't have an issue with me. I don't come across this because uh, you know it's free will. The people don't have to have a session with me. And then in South Africa, it's very clear that you pay a sangoma. The only thing is, is that how much do you charge? So. To be clear with you, my rates in South Africa, working with indigenous people, or rural people, will be different to my rates working in, in America or Europe or Ireland. And, and there's a reason for that, because I'm charging what the going rate is amongst other Sangomas. And then when I'm overseas, it's, um, it's a different currency, it's a different, uh, making a living is different, you know, your rents and flights, and you know it's different. So, but at the end of the day, we, we, we are expected to charge.
0: <laughs> yeah. and Most uh, Sangomas I know particularly, but often people who have been steeped in a tradition continue to send money back to their community, to their culture, if they're out on the road working. I know many people send money back just regularly, part of the tradition, because it's expected. Yeah. There are other traditions mm-hmm. where that isn't expected. And I think you know, this whole conversation, the first thing you were saying is it's about permission. Does your culture support that? Um, Some cultures charge money, some cultures don't, but it's always about honoring the ancestral lineage and the, the process and the culture itself. So I think that's an important aspect of becoming a shamanic practitioner. And you're traveling around. You have to eat and, and mm. have a roof over your head. And I, I don't see you driving a fancy car, or partying in four-star restaurants. <laughs> you
1: know. I wish. I still dream about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ask your ancestors. Maybe, maybe they'll treat you to a meal, John. <laughs>
1: Um, I want to make another point around this, just a very brief and very um, quick point, Michael. Um, It's coming up for me here. And that is, we're talking about the issue of permission, but also the depth of, of, of knowledge that you receive when you're going through a traditional apprenticeship. And now the listener or the people listening to us may think, how do I know that I'm working with someone who's got a great depth of knowledge or wisdom? And all I could say to you is, how do you feel when you're with this person and how do they react? What is the, you know, you need to listen to your feelings. You need to look at your, your discernment here, your intuition, because generally there's a similarity between people who have got, um, who've been blessed and apprenticed in an ancestral way. Generally they've had to train for many years And there's a particular kind of gravitas or way that they're holding themselves, and the reason is is because they've had to honor the lineage. So I've honored the lineage to such an extent that the closer ancestors come to me and give me dreams and visions and talk to me as, as their adopted son, and and that's one of the reasons why I am so passionate about correcting one of the injustices of colonialism, which which is traditional African healers are not black magic practitioners, but are holy people and beautiful people. So as I'm doing that, I'm helping to correct this, this injustice from the past. So I think it's important for the listeners to feel, how do they feel with this, this ancestral uh, practitioner, this traditional shaman or this, uh, you know, this person who's steeped in this old wisdom?
0: Yeah. I think I would add to the feelings very much to pay attention to the body, particularly here in, in the North, where we are for the most part disembodied and uh, very much in our head and all traditions, shamanic traditions, and I've studied quite a few of them, you know, it's really the journey from the head to the heart and the body. And so feelings and body, when you're looking to see what's the truth, is this a person who's going to serve my needs and help me to overcome my own prison of my own identity and be a larger part of the human consciousness, perhaps, or, or move towards a greater unity of consciousness. I also wanted to add something just one more time, because I think it's something really important in terms of this ap- cultural appropriation, and that is the issue of racial essentialism. That practices are race specific. That's not part of the lens to be looking at the the tradition, and it often becomes that. I I hear you saying that in the background of what you're saying too.
1: <laughs> yes, I think you made a beautiful point there, and I think that's it's interesting because my teacher, my kotze teacher, Mamgwewu, she um, even though she was subjected to the to apartheid and this this very rigorous. Um, form of social engineering, which we call apartheid. She wasn't colonized in her mind. I want to make that point. And what I mean by she was not colonized in her mind, when I told her that people had an issue with me being white, she said, why? Because she said they don't understand the culture. That is not about the color of your skin. It's about the ancestors calling you. It's about you having this sickness and that you had no choice, John. I had to train you because you were so sick. Do people not understand that? I said, no, mom. They're just focusing on the color of my skin. But she said, but a human being is much more than the color of your skin. She said, if you cut my arm, red blood flows. If I cut your arm, red blood flows. How come the people can't understand that? I said, and does, mom. I don't understand. She said, the people must appreciate Ubuntu. They must appreciate humanity that we have all different colors but we've all got red blood and we all need to help one another and I think this is where we are going as a human race and this is why I'm working with you Michael and I love what you're doing and I love what um, a lot of um, shamans in, in America like Itzak a lot of them are doing incredible work about this, this whole idea of, of us coming back to a collective humanity and And healing one another, regardless of skin color, and I think we need a lot more of this, you know
0: The divisiveness and the myth of separation has grown so huge and so large that i I believe the only way out is a spiritual tradition, and the shamanic traditions for me are where I find my ground because they're nature based they're animism based, and honor and recognize the spirit in all things so Yes. Um, thank you. It's really great to hear your, your perspective on that. I want to plug your book again uh, right here, Leopard Warrior. It's just being released in uh, Ireland and the UK. It's out in the United States. And you're going to be going on tour in August to, the can- to Canada and the U.S. So tell us a little bit about your tour and how to get a hold of you and find more about your website and things like that.
1: Thanks, Michael. Yes, people can get hold of me just straight through my website, which is johnlockley.com. And they can email me if they want a session or Skype session or um, my information in terms of my tour. I'm going to be going to a number of different cities in the United States. I'll be going to Seattle, Los Angeles, Boulder, just to name a few. And then I'm also going to, to Canada and I'll go to Vancouver and Montreal. So all people need to do is just go onto my website or even register to get a newsletter and they'll get my itinerary.
0: And that's John Lockley and it's dot ycom if people want that's to right. get more. That's right. Well, my friend, it's great to spend time with you again. I hope when you're in Vancouver, we'll find some mischief to get into. I have to get you over here on the Sunshine Coast. i'll be back from california and back up here uh during that time so i look forward to connecting and i hope many more people will uh check out your work and it's just really beautiful beautiful tradition the sangoma uh tradition and uh it's it's great to have you on conversations thanks so much john thanks michael yeah Conversations is an independently produced program supported by KVMR 89.5 Nevada City and listener contributions. We are committed to bringing you leading-edge thinking in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or order any of our past shows, go to our website at arewelistening.net.